it seems that somewhere along the line we'd started a series of messages in the book of Colossians. And a little thing called the Christmas season uh, put a little pause on that and we're going to pick that back up today. And so if you missed any of those messages, they are available online. You can always go back and check those out. Um, But Colossians is an incredible book um, in so many ways. In fact, one of the things that uh, I am planning on doing um, is um, I'm going to spend about three or three and a half days with 40 house church leaders in India, uh, most if not all of whom have faced persecution And I'm going to have the privilege over the course of time to take them verse by verse through this letter of the Colossians in order to not only encourage them, but also to provide them instructions so that they can teach their churches. Um, It's an exciting time, and I've spent a lot of time in Colossians. And the more I spend in it, the the greater my appreciation for the truth of this message comes out. Because you'll remember we started and we said that that really the theme for Colossians is Jesus is enough. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to this little church, this small town of Colossae. He was trying to communicate to them Jesus is enough. And it's one of the messages that we need to desperately hear in our time. You see, we live in the United States of America. We live in a place that has a wealth of ideas, a wealth of ideals. They're competing Uh, for our time they're competing for our attention and 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 we are the problem is as a culture we've become easily distracted and so it's almost like letting a five-year-old loose unaccompanied and unsupervised in a toys r us i mean it is floor to ceiling gizmos and gadgets You don't even know where to start, and you're constantly trying to look for, hey, this one brought me pleasure today, but what's going to bring me pleasure tomorrow? What's going to satisfy me the day after that? And the question that we need to really wrestle with, and I think we need to wrestle with this, I don't think it's something we need to shrug off, is is for us, is Jesus truly enough? Is he truly enough? In this world filled with distractions and temptations and, and we're constantly chasing rainbows and unicorns trying to find that, that something that will satisfy us, will we get to the point where we can recognize that it is Jesus who truly satisfies and Jesus is truly enough? And I think it's worth our time to wrestle through that question. And so we want to do a little bit of that today because the Colossians were also wrestling through that. They too had a city or a town of competing ideas and ideals. And it was affecting the church. It was eroding the truth in the church. And what Paul wanted them to desperately know is that Jesus is enough. You don't have to go chasing after these other things. Jesus is enough. Folks, that's really the only message I've got to preach to you ever. <laughs> that, I mean, that is, that, that's, that is what we're about, is that Jesus is enough. He's enough for our salvation. He's enough to sustain us in this life, and He's enough to take us home when this life is over. Um, some of you have been praying for 
Jim Bensel's mother, who'd been going downhill, suffering with dementia, and, and uh, had, they'd had to call hospice care in for her um, last night. She went on to be with the Lord. And when, when Jim called me this morning, and, and we talked and we prayed, you know, the only thing that I have to share with somebody in a situation like that is this, Jesus is enough. And you know, that's either true or it isn't. Either he's enough or he's not. And if he is enough, why do we in this culture live as if he isn't? As if there's got to be something more that can satisfy. And so we're going to look today, we're going to begin looking in Colossians chapter 2 um, with verse 16. And we're going to, we're going to drift over into, into chapter 3 before we're done. But I want us to go to the Lord in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, I want, I want to thank you that Jesus is enough. And I, I pray now that you would teach us that in a really profound way today. That what we read here in your word and how you speak to us through your spirit, Lord, that we could go out and declare Jesus is enough. But more than declare it, Lord, that on Monday through Saturday we could live it. Lord, we thank you. Um, that for Jim's mom, Jesus was enough, and for them in their grief now, Jesus is enough. And that no matter what comes our way, and no matter what tempts us and draws us, Lord, may we always come back to the truth that Jesus is enough. Now teach us through your word. Speak, Lord. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's take a look at that. We're going to, uh, like I said, we're going to start in verse 16, and we'll, we'll break this up a little bit, but I think it's important for us to spend a little time to see what, what the people in Colossae was, were wrestling with and how that affects us and how, what we wrestle with ourselves. And so he begins here in verse 16 with these words. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, Colossae, for a small town, had an interesting mixture of religious ideas and philosophical ideas that kind of, kind of floated, and, and not, not unsimilar to what we face today in our own culture. Uh, there, there was a Jewish community, a Jewish synagogue there, um, and therefore, there was that aspect. There were certainly a lot of Greeks, a lot of, of Gentiles there, and they brought their own kind of, of thoughts and ideas of, of life and how to cope and how to face the challenges of life and the struggles of life and the temptations of life. All these things were there. Now, in this particular instance, what he mentions in these couple of verses has to do specifically with what we call G, uh, Jewish legalism. And that is that in order to be right with Christ, you also have to obey all the Jewish laws. You, you add the Jewish laws to Jesus in order to make a complete picture. And that was the thinking. And so evidently what's taking place here, and we're having to draw it out a little bit because Paul didn't say, hey, these are your particular issues, but he refers to them. And the one he refers to here has to do with people who are, um, he says, uh, food and drink. Now, he's not saying, hey, listen, uh, you argue about which restaurant you're going to after the worship service. That's not what he's talking about. 
But there were certain foods that were considered clean or unclean, certain things that you could drink or not drink, and certain times to do those things and fasting, and all these things were, were wound up together. In regard to festivals or a new moon or Sabbath, these have to do with observances of particular days and, and particular instances remembering back what happened in Judaism. And Paul is not saying that these things are bad in and of themselves because they're not. What he's saying is, you can't add these to Jesus. And he tells us why. He says, because they are a shadow. They're not the substance. They're a shadow. All these religious festivals, all these religious rituals, all these things were given to let you know that something more is coming. These were to, let, these were to help you to see that they weren't themselves enough. That there was something more, something of greater substance that was coming. The reality was Jesus. All the festivals, all the rituals, all the feasts, all these regulations, they were a shadow that pointed towards the substance that was to come. I don't know if you've ever seen, I don't watch too many horror movies. I guess I just don't have the... Uh, I guess I'm just a scaredy cat when it comes to that kind of stuff. I just, I don't, it's just not my thing. But every once in a while you will see in, in these kind of movies, especially in the older movies where they use more visuals than they do now, is that when, the, when there was something coming that was dangerous, oftentimes what you'd see proceeding it was a shadow. Now listen, we don't have to be afraid of shadows. It was the thing behind the shadow, causing the shadow that we need to be fearful of. And what Paul is saying is, this has nothing to do with fear. He's saying all these observances here, these were the shadow. But the substance is coming. The things that the shadow pointed to are coming. Paul's answer is simple. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. All these festivals, they pointed towards a greater need that mankind had. They were temporary And they needed repeating over and over and over again. But this is what we read in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. In the temple, in the tabernacle before it, sacrifices were offered over and over and over and over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews says, once for all, Jesus was sacrificed. And he goes on in the next couple of verses to say, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Why? Because they were the shadow. They were not the reality. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He sat down. He sat down because he was done. The work was done. It was finished. Jesus did absolutely everything that was necessary for your salvation and for mine and for the salvation of anyone in the world who would trust and believe in him. And so that brings us to truth number one. And this is not in your notes, but there's plenty of room to write these things down if you want to. Truth number one is this. No ritual, no good work, or anything else is necessary 
for our salvation. Jesus is enough. We don't have to do these things in order to make ourselves right with God or to earn God's love or to earn our way into his presence because Jesus is enough. He goes on in verse 18. He said, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now here we see what are a, kind of a, a series, a, a, a kind of a basket full of, of other ideas and philosophies that were threatening to undermine the church in Colossae. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but I do think it's important for us to touch on them because we see a word like asceticism and we go, okay, I don't even know what that means. That's not a word that I use normally. So what is asceticism? Asceticism basically is denying yourself all sensual pleasures, all the, all the pleasures of life, including sexuality and, and comfortable clothing and good food and, and good things to drink and comfortable surroundings and a comfortable bed, comfortable chairs. And it's basically denying yourself all these physical pleasures in order for a higher spiritual purpose. In other words, you're trying to reach another higher spiritual plane. You're trying to advance in your spirituality. And, and there were Greek philosophies that taught this very thing. That is that you, you, you kind of denied yourself the physical pleasures in order to, to be more spiritually mature than everybody else, to be more advanced than everybody else. And it's interesting that both Buddhism and Hinduism both focus on this. There are aspects of Buddhism and Hinduism that focus on uh, basically saying that the the flesh is meaningless. Your body, the physical world that you live in is meaningless. The only thing that's important is the spirit and therefore denying yourselves all these things in order it gets you to a higher spiritual plane. In some it would say it helps you to meet God and for some um, it it would say it basically releases you from, from all concerns and all uh, attachments, and your the ultimate goal is nothingness, merging with nothingness, which is a lot different than when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that'll be! Man, what a what a huge difference to say. Listen, I understand this body I live in. It's it's full of pains and it's full of it's full of hurts and and I, I face temptations and there are challenges living in this body that I live in. I understand that. But you know what? You and I were made in the image of God. God created us. And even though our flesh is fallen, still, God has given us all these things for our enjoyment, for our delight, for our pleasure. They're, they're, we're not, this is not about getting rid of all these things. Therefore, we can, we're now free to go and meet with God because we have unburdened ourselves from anything that would be in this physical realm, including your own families. But here's the truth. A man could starve himself to death fasting and never see the face of God. There are men and women who are in temple ceremonies, probably as we speak, who are cutting themselves with uh, stone blades or with metal blades 
who are cutting themselves, who are bleeding, and what they're doing is they're, 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 they're hurting their bodies in order to impress God. That is not our God. God is not asking us to do that. As a matter of fact, Jesus came and suffered bodily for us. He's not calling us to do that. That is not our way. In fact, what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 is that we are saved by grace through faith and it is not because of our works. It's a gift from God. What a difference. And Paul was trying to say, listen, I want you people to understand. I want you to get this. Yes, there are people who are saying this is how you get to God, by mutilating your body, by starving yourself half to death. There are people who do that, but that doesn't get them any closer to God. It doesn't earn his love. It doesn't earn his favor or his grace. So truth number two that Paul will tell us here, and the scripture tells us is, that spiritual disciplines and practices, although they can be helpful in your Christian growth, Spiritual disciplines and practices do nothing to save us. Why? You know the answer. Because Jesus is enough. Then he goes on to talk about angel worship. Now that's not something we normally talk about. That's, that's not really anything that you and we, we we'd struggle with, right? Well, basically, the false teaching that was here and would later manifest itself in a thing called Gnosticism, this false teaching was that there is this um, heavenly hierarchy and you don't go directly to God. You've got to go through these intermediaries, these angels, in order to communicate with God or to get access to God. And in fact, it, it got to the point where it was like you were in a secret society and you had to, to know these seek, spiritual secrets. You had to learn these and, and, and you'd you know, meet in dark rooms and you'd share these secrets and, and it would advance you level upon level upon level so that you could actually enter into the presence of God. Now, is that biblical at all? No, it isn't. Angels are pretty awesome. Whenever you see them encountered in Scripture, they're pretty awesome. But they are not God and they are not worthy of our worship and we do not need them in order to get to God. Instead, the Bible says this, let us then with confidence, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Listen, this may blow some of your minds, but because you are in Christ, the door to God's throne room is wide open. And you don't have to go through angels and you don't have to go through Jimmy and you don't have to go through anybody else. Why? Because Jesus already made it possible for you to go directly into the presence of the Father through faith in Him. We can go boldly. We can go with confidence into the throne room of grace. It's an incredible thing. And so truth number three is this. There is no alternate means for us to get to the Father. Jesus is enough. He himself said, I am the way, 
I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is enough. And the final thing that he mentions here in this list is spiritual experiences. And here the false teachers that were causing issues in the church, uh, they they were having visions and they were having dreams. And for them, these visions and dreams superseded the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. They went beyond that. Hey, I've got more knowledge. I've had this spiritual experience. I've had this dream. I've had this vision. And yeah, over here, what, what we hear that Jesus taught, what we hear that Peter taught, what we hear the apostles taught, that's all well and good, but, but I've, I've got to step further. I've gone, I've gone deeper into it. I know more. I've got this experience. And here's the issue. If you wanted to find a copy of what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, really you have to go to the synagogue to find that. It wasn't something that you could just go pick up off the library shelf. It's not something that, that most families would have in their homes. Colossae was a fairly poor city. I doubt many people had anything. Maybe one or two had a scroll here and there. But nobody had the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures to fall back on. The New Testament had been written yet. All they had were the stories of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles and, and perhaps a, a letter from, from Paul. That's all they had to go on. And so you can see in that environment, it would be really easy for somebody, somebody to come in who's charismatic, who said, listen, I've had this dream, I've had this vision, God's revealed this to me. And it would be easy to draw people away from the truth. Now here's the deal. This may be the one that is closest to what we face here in the United States. And you and I, we have the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, you probably have multiple copies at your house. Some of you may have 10 or 12 Bibles scattered out throughout your house. You may not even know where they all are. we've got access to the Word of God. We've got access to the truth. We've got access to the gospel, and we can confirm it along here. But but people would far rather hear the story of someone who died and supposedly went to heaven and saw God and then came back and said, okay, I know what the Bible says, but here's what I saw. And people buy it, even though many of those have been proven completely false. People have confessed, hey, this this isn't true. But man, that's the stuff we want to hear. Somebody getting up and reading the letter of Colossians on the Oprah Winfrey show, that's not going to get any ratings. But me dying and going to see God and then coming back and writing a book about it, yeah, that'll get you on the Oprah show, without a doubt. That'll get you on all these shows. Or we'd rather hear someone who has said, you know what, um, I kind of, I, I kind of, I've read the scriptures, but, but I want to, I want to tell you, Jesus, if he were around today, he would say this, or, or Jesus is saying this to you, and it has no attachment to the scriptures whatsoever. But we eat it up. We live in a culture that really can't tolerate the truth. We need it sugar coated and double dipped and whatever it is, so that we can, we can tolerate this and. What Paul would say is what we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God. We, listen, most of you are here, I would hope, 
uh, not simply because you have friends here, not simply because you enjoy the music here, but most of you are here because you believe that this is a place where the truth of God is taught without compromise. Okay? Most, that, that's just why most of you are here. And most of you, I, I heard this morning someone talking about one of the small groups and how solid it is to get in those small groups where the truth of God is confirmed and affirmed in the lives of those who are trying to live it out. That's, that's critical. That's, that's super important. But you need to understand that's not the culture in which we live. People don't want that. They'd rather hear the dramatic experience, the dream, the, the vision. God's revealed this to me even if it has no connection at all to the Word. And so the fourth truth here is what they were struggling with, and unfortunately what we struggle with, is that there's no dramatic spiritual experience that is a substitute for a faith that is anchored in the gospel. Why? Help me out. Jesus is enough. Now, honestly, dealing with the world around us is a daily challenge. What we all face We deal with temptations. We deal with the weaknesses of the flesh. We deal with all these things. So Paul doesn't just say, okay, let me me tell you what not to do over here. No, he's going to give us some guidance here. And I want you to see these next verses in their context, starting with verse 20, chapter 2, and going all the way to verse 4 in chapter 3. And this is what he says as we deal with this struggle. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, not only will they not save you, they will not help you live above this world. And then in in chapter 3, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. So the answer to living above the distractions and the temptations that constantly call to us in this life is not some secret spiritual knowledge that you get in a back room somewhere It's not beating yourselves up physically, beating yourselves into submission. Paul gives us an answer, and you likely won't be surprised. Look here again in verse verse 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Or as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, it is but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There are no tricks, there are no secrets, and there are no shortcuts. We get up each day as followers of Jesus and we commit to being living 
sacrifices. In other words, I've already died. When, when Jesus died on the cross spiritually, I died with him. I died to self, and it is now Jesus who lives in me and Jesus who lives through me. My key to dealing with temptation, my key to dealing with distractions, it's not some trick, it's not some secret, it's not some method. It is simply agreeing with God about who you are in Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. That's what the Bible says about you. You are a new creation in Christ. You are now in Christ. The life you live in this body, yeah, you live it each day. But you live it by faith in the one who loved you and gave himself for you. It's a total change of thinking that agrees with your new identity in Christ. Christianity stops becoming something we do and being a Christian becomes who we are. We are now in Christ. We are now a follower of Christ. We are now a son or a daughter of God. It is everything's made new. And and the problem is, if we don't think like this, if our minds aren't being renewed daily to think like this, then we go back to the old patterns, we begin to chase those unicorns and chase those leprechauns and chase those promises of satisfaction. And it is so... Pro- I, was, I was listening to a little daily briefing and there was somebody up in New Hampshire that won $580 million in the lottery. And there's something in me that said, dude, you need to buy a ticket. Why? Because I look at that $580 million and I think how much better my life and the lives of the people around me would be if I had $580 million. And you know what? That's the world telling me something. Jesus isn't enough. He simply isn't enough. Unfortunately, during the course of the year, I talked to men and women who've been in terrible relationships over and over again, and, and they start, and they don't feel like they're complete without having some guy or some girl in their life. They feel completely incomplete. And what they're telling me is, you know what, Jesus isn't enough. And at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, we've really got to deal with this question, is Jesus enough or is Jesus not enough? And if he's enough, then I can agree with with the Apostle Paul who said, I've learned what it means to be content, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. I've learned because I've come to understand that Jesus is enough. He's enough for me now. He's enough for me forever. And these things that God gives me to enjoy in life They are simply that. I do not own them. I do not possess them. And they do not possess me. I am simply a steward of anything that God has entrusted to me. Jesus is enough. I've been communicating back and forth with Moses, the missionary that we helped to support in India. 
this is a humbling thing for me because I've already been told, Jimmy, you can't go over there and live like they do. You can't go eat there, sleep there, function the way they function. Why? Because you won't survive. In other words, what they're saying is, dude, you're soft. And I probably am. But you've got these 40 pastors who are going to come from all over the country. They're going to ride in crowded trains. They're going to sleep for a dollar a night in a hostel somewhere, eating basic food in order to have someone from the United States of America. And this really, this really gets my heart. They're coming because they believe that I have something from God to give to them that they can in turn give to others. And one thing that I know I will learn what it really looks like to be a living sacrifice. Because you know what? I don't think I've yet to begin to learn that lesson. I may get on that altar, but man, I'm, I'm quick to crawl off. And that I face the same thing you face. All the distractions, all the bright lights and baubles. And, and I end up chasing these things, thinking somehow they're going to satisfy. But I know. Many of you come to know that there's only one true way to be satisfied now and forever. And that is through Jesus Christ. And if you don't know that this morning, can I encourage you to come meet Him? You need to meet this Jesus. Not the Jesus of your imagining. Maybe not the Jesus of your upbringing. But you need to meet a Jesus who loves you so much that He would willingly die on a cross for your sins, paying the price for you in order to give you a new life. And if you need that Jesus this morning, then I want to invite you to come today and meet Him. Some of you, you need to crawl back on the altar. For some of you, you need to make a new commitment this year that I want to be a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. And I need you, God, to change my mind so that when I look in the mirror, I see a different man, I see a different woman, I see a child of God, I see someone who's redeemed, I see someone who is saved, I see someone who's a new creation in Christ, so that I can begin to live like that. And you may just need to come and make this place an altar where you can come and just come before God and just pour your heart out and say, can I have a new start, a fresh start today, God? Some of you may say, hey, you know what, I've, I've, I've never heard this before, this is all new to me. But I'm ready to come and, and be a part of a church that believes like this. Because I can, I can tell you this. Only people who are living sacrifices will make an impact for the kingdom of God in their homes and in their uh, families and in their communities and in their workplace, in their schools and in the world. If we're going to go and live like the rest of the world, if we're going to say, hey, listen, I've got my fire insurance, but I'm going to go live like the rest of the world, we'll make zero impact for the kingdom of God in this world. And so today, you need to decide. Is Jesus enough? Let's pray. Father, thanks for this word. Um, 
it is challenging and we like the Colossians struggle because there's so many things that would distract us and pull us away and there's so many other offers of things that are going to satisfy us the next big thing to come down the pipe where we're just suckers for infomercials that somehow this is going to make our life better Lord, I pray that you would convict us today that Jesus truly is enough. Those who need your son, Jesus, as Savior, that you would convict them today that they need to come get it taken care of right now. For those who simply need to come and to pray, Lord, and to crawl back on the altar, make themselves a living sacrifice, Lord, I pray that today might be that day of commitment. And for those, Lord, who need a church home, a place where truth is both taught and lived, then, Lord, if you're leading in the grace, let nothing stand in their way. Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, our answer is simply yes. And we pray it in Jesus' name.